Again, we just want to say uh, welcome to you, and we are so glad that you are here uh, tonight to celebrate Christmas uh, with us. We're so glad that you've chosen to be in God's house, wherever God's house might be tonight. Right now, worshiping at all of our campuses in West Des Moines and in Ankeny and in Johnson Grimes and here in Des Moines, we are worshiping together as one church, multiple locations as God's family as Lutheran Church of Hope. So that is really something uh, to be excited about. Can I just say that I love Christmas? Does anybody else love Christmas? Okay, good. Good. We, I want, you can be a boisterous crowd tonight, so feel free to have some Woo-hoo! feedback. There we go. I love Christmas. Maybe not all the, the hustle and the bustle that surrounds Christmas, all the craziness, but what I do really love about Christmas is the fact that we get to celebrate this gift that we heard about in the video. And although maybe it didn't quite happen exactly uh, like that, we have a gift tonight. is God's Son, Jesus Christ, who came into our world. It's, it's this story that really never gets old. The story that never gets old because it's real and because it's true, because it's a story about a God who comes to us. And that's the gift that we celebrate tonight, the gift that will never disappoint. Although I'm sure many of you can probably remember some gifts that you have either given or received that would be not so great, as in some terrible gifts that you've either given uh, or received. On the, on the receiving end, uh, growing up, the gift that I wanted more than anything else that topped my list was Legos. Do we have any Lego fans out there growing up liking Legos? Okay, a few of you, good. Nothing, nothing else mattered when you're growing up as an as a eight-year-old boy. Nothing else mattered than getting uh, the brand new castle or the brand new pirate ship uh, Lego set. And so I remember... Distinctly, one Christmas, we were opening gifts as a family, and so we always opened the ones from our immediate family first, and then from our other relatives and grandparents on either side. And so about 98% of my gifts that I had received had been, you can guess, Legos, right? Because that's all I wanted. It was about the only thing on my my list, and so about 98% of my gifts had been Legos. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, this trend is going to continue. So I get to the very last package from my grandparents, and I'm like, okay, it says, you know, to a very special grandson. Well, that's me. So I'm assuming, though, this is going to be great. This is going to be awesome. And of course, it's going to be Legos. Why would it not be? I I figured the trend would continue. So, But then I started to feel it, and I'm like, wow, this is awful, kind of soft and and mushy to be Legos. If I I shook it, Legos would rattle around a little bit. This is, it's a little bit too soft and mushy to be Legos. And so I, I start to tear into it, and I'm like, I got a really bad feeling about this. And I tear into it, and I open it up. And I think the look on my face told it all, and I said, Wah! what is that? And my, mom, my parents are just dying laughing. They're trying to hold in their laughter because they're trying to respect my grandparents who gave me a holiday fruitcake, a stick of it, nonetheless. And I'm just going, what is that? And my mom's just giggling, and she goes, Jonathan, it's, it's a fruitcake. And I said, I don't want a fruitcake. I want Legos. And so all I can remember is just sitting there with this puzzled look on my face the rest of the night going, now what do I do with this? You can't build it. You can't make this into a spaceship or a pirate ship. What's, what's the deal with that? And I, I just remember thinking, that's it? This is what I waited for? This is the grand finale of our Christmas gift opening this year, I mean, it's like getting a, a lump of coal, except worse. It's a lump of fruitcake. Oh, the disappointment. The disappointment. And I wonder if some of us are asking that exact same question tonight. Is this it? Because if this is it, I'm going to be really disappointed. 
But maybe we're not just talking about Christmas gifts. Some of you might be asking, is this it? Is, is, is there more than this? And that question goes far beyond Christmas. It's about the journey that each of us are on tonight. It's about life. It's about this desire that I believe that we all have to find something to build our lives on. Something to give meaning for today and something to give hope for the future. We don't want to be disappointed either, do we? We want the real deal. Not just around Christmas, but I think each of us has placed our hopes in something or someone in the future. We are all waiting for something. Whether it's a dream or, or a desire that we have, maybe it's to be married one day, to, to have a family, to do something significant with our lives. Or maybe it's we're hoping and we're waiting for a change of circumstances in our lives, maybe a different job, maybe for, for peace in your marriage or for a better relationship with your kids. We all know what it's like to long for something, to wait for something. And so that's what we've been doing these last few weeks that we call Advent uh, in the church this time of the year in the, in the church calendar. We've been waiting. We've been this, simply that time we're saying, God, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm placing my hope and my trust. I, I'm waiting for you and I'm trusting that I'm not going to be disappointed with this gift. That this gift that we're receiving on Christmas is going to be way better than a lumpy piece of fruitcake. And interestingly enough, that's where I want to drop us in to this story here tonight, not at the manger scene just yet, not with the shepherds or with the wise men, but with a group of people who had also been waiting and longing for thousands of years, waiting in anticipation. For hundreds, even thousands of years, God's people in the Old Testament frame, well, they frame the Christmas story for us because they've been waiting the Israelites have been waiting, anticipating a gift from God. They want a king. They want a king. Since the days of King David, there's been no king that's really filled that hole. They want a king like David who would come in with great military strength and power and, and finally, once and for all, kick out the Roman oppression, the Roman armies that have been ruling over them for years and finally, once and for all, establish God's kingdom on earth. And so year after year, they waited, expectantly hoping that God's gift would not disappoint. And it's these prophets, like the prophet Isaiah, that tell of this king that would come, this light that would shine in the darkness. Long before Christmas, this is the hope that people clung to for thousands of years. And so we read passages like this from Isaiah chapter 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And this is the last verse of that passage. Let's read this together from Isaiah 9. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. You can see why they loved passages like this. It tells of the coming king. That's what they were waiting for. That's what they were looking for. And the truth is, I'm, I'm sure that all of you are here this evening, well, for lots of different reasons, looking for a lot of different things as well. For some of you, you're here because, well, Christmas Eve is a, is a family tradition, right? That's what we do on Christmas Eve. We go to church. For others, it's because, well, I thought, you know, maybe it was a good religious thing to do. You know, you, you do the whole church thing and then you move on and you go home and you'll eat dinner tonight and you'll open presents another year, another Christmas, well, maybe you came tonight and you're not exactly sure 
what you're waiting for, to be honest, because you were drugged here tonight against your own will, and you were forced to wear something that you normally don't wear uh, on, a, on a Saturday night, and, and that's okay. Trust me, I've been there before. I know what that's like. Or maybe tonight just brings you peace. Maybe this is a brand new thing for you, and you're really trying to sort it all through and figure out what this all means. But no matter why you're here this evening, I want to ask you a question. What are you looking for? What did you come looking for tonight? And so whatever that is, I don't want to share with you so much about a religion tonight. I don't want to share with you so much about a holiday. But I believe what we find tonight is that the power of this story is that we receive the greatest gift because the hero of this story has actually come looking for you. And as you're searching for him this evening, know that he's looking for you. And as it turns out, he's able to come and has a habit of coming into some of the most unlikely circumstances. In fact, we read this from the Gospel of John. Let's read this together. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I'm sure, I guess I'm not exactly sure what your view of God might be tonight. I don't know, I think all of us are at different points of our journey, but there's one thing that we know for sure from this story tonight. God is not distant. God is not distant. He's not unaware of whatever it is that might be going on in your life. And how do we know that? Because he's walked in your shoes. This verse from the Gospel of John, one of the very first verses that talks about Jesus in the beginning, tells us that the God who created everything became one of us. I love how the the message version of the Bible actually puts this verse, and it actually says this, um, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. So, so much for Santa Claus is coming to town. Jesus is coming to town. Jesus has come to your neighborhood. The main character of the story, the, the author became the main character. The giver actually becomes the gift. And he came looking for you. And as it turns out, the actual neighborhood that he chose to come to was probably the most unlikely of places that he could have come. The most unlikely of places for this gift the greatest gift to arrive. So back to our story from Luke chapter 2. It says this, While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, how often have you read a passage like that around Christmas time and we go, oh, that's so cute. What a nice little cuddly, cute cabbage patch doll Jesus. And we can pinch his cheeks and say, oh, Merry Christmas. He's so cuddly. And we say that, but I think how often do we stop and say, when Mary laid him there, where exactly was there? You see, God had this really messy plan, a plan to save the world, to save you and I, and to do that, he sends his son. But where does the God of the universe choose to deliver this gift? Where does the King of kings and the Lord of lords decide to come? Well, a manger, a cradle, a smelly cradle. In fact, actually more like 
a cave. You see, we say a manger, but it actually was probably something more like this, what you see on the screen. A few years ago, my dad had a chance to, to go to Israel and to visit the actual place where Jesus was born. And we think, oh, it was nice like a little parlor just outside the Holiday Inn there in Bethlehem. And, and it was kind of a nice uh, cabin that they made for Jesus. No, it was probably something more like a cave. And it wasn't pretty. Something like this would probably have been used by travelers as like a... Um, Sort of a, an old, old school parking garage for their animals. You know, they're staying at the hotel there in town. And this is more like the parking garage way out back that nobody really goes to. And this is where all the animal go, animals go. And it's kind of like a par- parking garage, except a lot more messy and a lot more smelly. Far from a clean barn, this was certainly no place fit for a king. But then again, this was no ordinary king. And so when I say messy, I mean messy. I mean, you've got animals, and that means you've got animal stuff, right? Animals who have been laying in the mud for days, manure all over the place. You can imagine the smell. I I actually uh, got a glimpse of this. I remember growing up in the thriving metropolis of Story City, about 3,000 people. Not exactly a thriving metropolis, but I was anything but... Uh, I was anything but a country boy. I was what you would call a city boy through and through. Everything about me was. And so uh, a couple times a year, including Christmas, our family would venture up, up north to southwest Minnesota to the farm of all places, and literally over the river and through the woods uh, to Grandpa and Grandma's house we go. And boy, do I remember vividly those first few trips that I took to the cow barn. Now, those of you that grew up on a farm, you know what I'm talking about, and you kind of laugh and giggle at us city people that don't really have this figured out yet. But um, I remember it very vividly, especially the smell. You see, it's one thing to like smell the, 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 the uh, trucks with the pigs going down, the cattle's, cattle going down, I-35. It's one thing to kind of catch a whiff of it from the city. It's a whole other thing to be there in the barn, like soaking in the smell of poo. I guess would be the best way of saying it. So you can imagine what's going on here. So here I am. Uh, here I am with my, uh, with my brand new white basketball shoes. Of course, I would wear those to the barn as a city kid. And uh, probably an Iowa Hawkeye uh, jacket, some nice Nike winter jacket that I just got, uh, brand new. And I'm, I'm walking through the rows, very similar to that. I'm, I'm walking through the rows, and I'm desperately trying to not touch anything or have anything get on me. So I'm kind of walking going, ugh, ugh, gross. And if I get, if I get, you know, get a little bit too close to something, I'd, oh, gross, get it off, get it off, get it off. And I check my shoes and I wipe my shoes off, you know, I'm doing some of that. And then, oh, I probably shouldn't lick my tongue and just trying to get everything clean and stay clean because this is messy. Well, next to me is my uncle Scott. And here he is with his torn and tattered jeans and his car hearts and his, his boots. And he's just covered with mud and manure. Actually, they were caked on there from the last time he was in the barn, and he couldn't be more at home. So here I am going, ick, gross, gross, you know, and he's just walking along, just patting the cattle, just going right down the chute there, just patting these people, and he says, Johnny, is what he called me, what's wrong? What? These are our friends. We're, We're right at home here. And so, taking the pitchfork, he throws some more hay in the feeding trough, and I, 
then I couldn't help but think, wow, I would never eat out of there. I would never eat out of this filth. It's messy. It's gross. And, and now looking back on it, I cannot help but think, what would it be like to be born there? I was so concerned about getting messy and gross, but then I think, that's where the Savior came. That's where the greatest gift was delivered. And I think, why would God do that? Well, I can't tell you, tell you for sure, but that same prophet Isaiah that we heard from 400 years before said this in chapter 53. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own ways, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, Jesus came to a, a messy place, to a dirty manger, to a, a dark cave, and that's messy. But he also came to a messy world. And why would he do that? Well, I think it's because the shepherd was coming to take care of his sheep. Remember later on in the story, read, the shepherds were watching over their flocks by night because that's what good shepherds do. If you're a shepherd, you go where your sheep go. You live where they live. You sleep where they sleep. You eat where they eat, even if it's messy. And Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. And so our story continues on in Luke chapter 2 as an, as an angel appears to the shepherds and says this in verse 12, this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. A sign. Sometimes we just read over the Christmas story. You ever stopped and wondered, what, what is that sign? A sign for what? I wonder if it was maybe a sign that your king isn't afraid to get a little messy. Like a shepherd with his sheep, like Uncle Scott with his cattle, like your savior with you. A sign that when Mary laid Jesus down in that feeding trough, it was, it was as if God was saying to all of us, there isn't anywhere I'm not willing to go. There isn't one area of your life tonight that's too messy for me to come into. Because the truth is, we all have messy lives. Life is just messy. We all have issues. Amen? Amen. Turn to your neighbor right now and just look at him and say, Hey, neighbor! You've got issues. Just remind them. Some of you enjoy that way too much, I can tell. You've got issues. You really do, but that's okay because Jesus didn't come to be fancied up in some ritzy hotel. Jesus came to get real. So when you see the manger, when you see that image, know that that's nothing compared to what he can do for you. Jesus says to you tonight, I, I know how messy things are for you. I know about that ugly habit. I know about that addiction. I know about that sin that you just can't seem to shake. I, in fact, I know all about the messiness of your marriage right now. I, I know about the difficulty of being a parent. I know all about those painful memories of your past. I, I know all about that deep desire that you have to find 
someone special to spend your life with. I know how much of a struggle it is to look around you at church and think, oh, all these other people are so much more spiritual than I am. I just can't seem to do it. I know that you've reached the middle of your life, Jesus says, and maybe you're looking back on your 60, 70, 80 hour work weeks and all your travel and everything that you do and how you've climbed the ladder at your job and you might be in the middle of your life and you're looking back now going, was it worth it? Was it all worth it? And on the outside, things are pristine, but on the inside, things are messy for you. You're wondering, have I done anything lasting? Life can be messy, so thank God for Christmas. Thank God for for a God that says, just like the angels, you will find him there, lying in a manger. You'll find him there, and I think what he wants you to hear tonight is, you'll find him there. Wherever there is for you, you'll, you'll find him there. Right in the middle of your fears, of your doubts, of your joys, of your pain, of your memories, of your worry. Right in the middle tonight, even of your indifference, you'll find him there. And he comes to us, as the Gospel of John says later on in chapter 1, full of grace and truth. A grace that says, I love you tonight just as you are, and a truth that says, I refuse to leave you that way. I'm not going to let you settle for anything less than who I created you to be, Jesus says. Because wouldn't it be nice if the Christmas story just ended and the baby just stayed in a manger? I don't know if you noticed tonight, some of you came in and said, somebody stole the baby, he's not there. It's not a real Christmas story. Where's the baby? Well, there's a reason that we don't have a baby in our manger tonight is because I want you to get used to that image because the baby didn't stay in the manger. The baby grew up and became a man. And that's a tough thing for us to get over because a lot of us, we like the cute little cuddly Jesus in the manger, especially our good friend, Ricky Bobby, the NASCAR driver. He's got a little bit different take on how to pray and who exactly this Jesus is. So as you watch this clip, I want you to think about what's your image of who this Jesus is this time of year? Let's take a look. I'm guessing that's, uh, that's what prayers are like around mealtime at your house. Has anybody prayed at eight ounce, six or eight pounds, six ounce Jesus? I need to get that right. Probably not. I'm guessing that that's not normal for you. But you've got to love Grandpa, right? He was a man with a beard, right? And he was a man. And as we find out in the Christmas story, he was a man who was God. Fully human, but fully God. He was in the beginning. The manger is empty tonight because I want you to remember he didn't stay there. He became a man, and in the beginning we read this, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And the Word was Jesus, meaning he was God. Not a cute little cuddly baby, he was God. Almighty, all-powerful God, before we get to decide what we thought. Before we could form our opinions on who he is, or what this whole Christianity thing was about, even before we could form our opinions on what we think of this whole church thing. He was God in the beginning, coming to us on his terms. 
But I wonder how often do we make Jesus who we want him to be as well. And maybe for you tonight, you don't want him to be nice little cuddly eight pound, six ounce Jesus. But I know for some of us, we like our soft and tender and compassionate Jesus. You know, the one, maybe a little bit something like this that was hanging in the hallway of your, uh, your Sunday school uh, hallway there, uh, growing up in church, and uh, he's, he's like this, and all the kids are around him, and they're, they're, they're singing songs from, from Barney and things, and, uh, you know, he, he's a nice guy, and he welcomes the kids, and he sings songs with them, and they can come and climb up on his lap, and maybe for you, it's, you know, he's a nice guy, he's a good teacher. He's a really good teacher. Jesus taught us how to be nice people, how to be good people. And that's who he is, and a really nice guy. And don't get me wrong, Jesus was loving and compassionate, and he welcomed the children. But the trouble is, the Roman government never crucified anyone for being nice. Different kind of Jesus. Instead, as we look deeper into the story, we, we find that the baby did grow up and, and became a man who went right into the messiness of people's lives, loving the unlovable, but also confronting people in their sin, challenging them, calling them to repent, to live differently. And he hung out with all the people that he wasn't supposed to, with tax collectors and thieves and outcasts and rejects, the unclean, intentionally challenging the status quo of what people thought God should be like. And he made the religious leaders of the day furious. In the end, following a nice guy who makes you feel good isn't going to fill up your soul. Speaking of those religious types, maybe for you it's not baby Jesus, it's not, it's not nice, soft, and cuddly Jesus. Maybe for, for you, Jesus, well, he's religion, Jesus is this religious guy, you know, the one that you learned about growing up in Sunday school and you, you memorized the Lord's Prayer and you memorized the Ten Commandments and, and uh, you went through confirmation and then you said, see ya, who really needs the church? And other than that, Jesus doesn't really require anything of us, does he? It's just religion, that's what Jesus stands for. You just be a good person and you hope that your good outweighs your bad and then someday, you'll get to go to heaven somewhere off in the clouds. I mean, you might say, I do the whole Christmas and Easter thing, but, well, I've got more important things to take care of than just being a churchy person. Well, that's good because he didn't come to make you a churchy person. He came to make you a brand new kind of person. Someone who's saved by grace, not by being good enough because you're never going to be. In fact, the people that Jesus had the most issues with were the religious people. And maybe the biggest thing for you this Christmas, the biggest thing for you standing in the way of you having a real and dynamic, everyday living relationship with Jesus Christ might just be your religion. It might just be the list of reasons that you think that you're good enough or that heavy load of guilt and all the reasons that you've been carrying around, all the ways that you've been failing at being good enough. In the end, just being a religious person is never going to fill your soul. We can try. 
We can try to make this baby stay in the manger. This, we can try to make this Jesus who we want him to be. But if we would follow him and go on this journey, if we would follow him out of the manger, we'll find that a little bit later on in the story as we move along this timeline, as it starts in the manger, as we follow the story, we find a rabbi who's walking along the sea and he comes into the messy lives of some ordinary fishermen and he says, follow me. Follow me, he says, and a few years later he says, follow me because this road leads to the cross. Follow me because I didn't stay a sweet little baby Jesus for you to celebrate once a year. I am Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords who calls you to follow me every single day. Who says, I know you better than you know yourself tonight. I know the messiness of your life. And most importantly, I know the sin in your life and I know the reality of death that you will never be able to conquer on your own. That you will never be able to defeat no matter how strong, no matter how tough, no matter how successful, no matter how good of a person you try to be. And because of that, I'm calling you to follow me because the manger leads to the cross. Because this is where the story goes, to a cross tonight where Jesus took all your sin and all your guilt and all your shame and in exchange he dies in exchange he offers you eternal life not just eternal life that's oh someday off in the clouds somewhere but a life that you can step into right now here tonight and experience real joy and real freedom and real peace because this is the real Jesus that is the greatest gift. That is the gift that will never disappoint you. And as we discover for the shepherds and for the magi that came to the cave that night, they experienced the greatest gift. They experienced this was no ordinary king. Let's take a look. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The best that these wealthy kings can offer the newborn king. And as you watch, maybe you wonder, if I was there that night, what would I have brought? And more importantly, maybe you wonder, and I pray that you do, I'm here tonight. What should I bring? What could I possibly bring to the King of Kings? What could I possibly bring to the one that gave everything for me, to who I owe everything? It's our prayer tonight that you would simply bring the real you that you would bring your heart with all of its messiness and experience his love, experience the greatest gift. John 17.3 Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ, 
whom you have sent. May you know that as you approach the manger tonight, you're simply called to bring you. With everything that you are, for everything that he is. Amen.